Good morning. How many of you have dogs? Dog lovers, hold your hands up high. Great, awesome. Yay. I won't even ask how many of you have cats because who cares? Um, <laughs> we just split the church right there. Just did it right there. You thought it was going to be over politics and we split the church. No, it's cats and dogs. Bless you who love cats. Somebody's got to. I'm glad it's not me. But anyway, those who have dogs, how many of you have invisible fences around your yard? Okay, cool, 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 cool. I I don't have an invisible fence for our dog. We just let our dog roam the neighborhood. But for those who have and use invisible fences, if I understand the technology, right, that you you put up these invisible barriers around the perimeter of your yard, and then your dog wears a, a, something around their, their neck, part of their on you know, their collar, and, uh, and and if they cross that invisible barrier, they get a buzz or perhaps maybe a little shock, something to remind them to stay within the the borders of the yard. And it's great technology. It's a great way to train your dog uh, if that's the way you you, you go about doing that. But what I understand is once the dog has been trained, once they've understood what the perimeter is, when you put their when you put the collar on that has the, the the shocker or the little buzzer thing that that you really don't need to you don't even need to turn it on because they've just been trained to stay inside of inside of the uh, the perimeter inside of the border of the yard that that the, the the power switch you can just turn the power switch off to the to the fence and the dog will stay inside the yard I'm, somebody might want to correct me on that but, but I understand that that's how we, you know, we can train our dogs to, to do that. And, and you say, well, what does that have to do with anything, Trent? Well, last week, we learned three pretty big theological terms. We learned about justification and sanctification and glorification. And just by way of review, uh, sanctif- or, um, justification means that we have been set free from the penalty of our sins. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we become justified just as if we've never sinned in the eyes of God. We have been set free from the penalty of our sins. And, and then there's sanctification, right? That, that is the reality that because of Christ, because of the cross, we have been set free from the power of sin. And then we talked briefly about glorification, that one day, uh, eventually, uh, we will be set free from the very presence of sin. And so, and so I, I thought about the invisible fence and how we train our dog, and, and I thought that there's some connection there. And the reality is this, is we learned last week that, that even, even though we may feel the presence of sin in our lives as follower of Jesus, the power has been turned off. Right? Because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did, though, though sin is very much present, it has been rendered powerless. In a sense, it's, the switch has been turned off. And we're free to walk through whatever barriers that, that we think keep us from being who God has created us to be, that we think that sin keeps us in this box. You are free 
to be the man, to be the woman that God has called you to be. You are free to break those habits, to, to break those chains, to, to, to walk in freedom when it comes to the power of sin in your life. Because of the gospel, sin has been rendered powerless. You are free. The, the reason, though, it, it's so difficult to embrace that reality is that for most of us, when, when, we're, when we're just being honest with ourselves, when we're staring at ourselves in the mirror in the morning, right, we often wrestle with things like this. We often say things like, well, if I'm free, then why do I feel the way that I feel? Oh, we, we might say like this, if I'm so changed, if I'm so free, why do I struggle with fill in the blank? Anger, pride, apathy, lust, fear, unforgiveness, whatever it is. If I'm so free, if I'm so changed, if the power has been turned off, why do I still struggle with? And we fill in the blank. If I'm so free, why do I keep doing? Why do I keep behaving the way that I behave? Why does it feel like in my day-to-day life that I am still a slave to sin? If you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 6, this is where we were at last week. We're in the first half of Romans 6. Today we're going to try to uh, walk through the rest of the chapter. Paul addresses what we're talking about today, what what we often feel. Last week, we kind of left, left you hanging. We, we talked about these are some things that you have to believe if you're ever going to experience the freedom that actually is ours when it comes to our struggle with and against sin. And we, we made the statement that the reality is we need to reckon the reality that we are dead to sin and alive to God. And so this, this morning, what we want to ask and try to answer is this, is how can this new relationship that we have with sin, and we have a new relationship with sin once we are transferred from being in Adam to being in Christ, and if you've forgotten, this is us, those of us who have believed the gospel and put our faith in Jesus, we are no longer in Adam, but God sees us as in Christ But how can this new relationship with sin begin to be reflected in our behavior? Romans chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, just a real quick review. Paul wrote these words. He said this, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he he lives to God. When Christ died, in a sense, sin died. He lived a sinless life. And the the power that he had to live a sinless life, believe it or not, was placed in us. That we have resurrection power. The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. And because of that, we have the power. Because we are now in Christ, to live against sin. We have the power. 
We have the same relationship with sin that Christ has. The switch has been turned off. And and see, here's, here's where we have to kind of wrestle a little bit. It's not a matter of believing it in in order to make it true, right? It's not if we believe this, then it makes it true. No, we have to, in our hearts and minds, flip the switch and begin to see that since this is true, I need to believe it. Since it's true that sin has been rendered powerless in my life, I need to live as though it is true because it is, in fact, true for followers of Jesus. Let's continue to read in verse 11. He says, and we we talked about this last week, so you also must consider, you must reckon yourself, believe it to be true, yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We love the alive to God part. It's that dead to sin part that we struggle with. And here's the point. When we are in Christ, not only does our relationship with God change, but our relationship with sin changes as well. When when we're in a relationship with God, our relationship with God changes and our relationship with sin changes. And now let's kind of introduce some new thoughts this morning. Verse 12, Paul says this. He says, let not sin therefore reign, rule in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Paul here, he is introducing uh, a radical idea, a radical concept. It's life-changing. And what Paul begins to do here is he begins to refer to sin in a whole new way. Did you catch it? Verse 12, look at it again. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He begins to refer to sin as its own entity, as its own thing. He uses uses the literary device of personification. He gives this abstract idea, this abstract thing, sin, some shape. And what the bottom line that we want to understand today is this, is this, it's that though sin resides in our bodies, it should not reign in our bodies. Again, he begins to treat sin as a separate entity. He calls sin an, an, an it. He describes it as a thing. That in Paul's mind, he's saying that, that sin, it's, it's not you. Sin, it's not me. That sin is this thing. And so the starting point this morning is I, I want us to use our imagination and let's use our minds to create what sin is, the it of sin, what it looks like. And, and I don't know what comes to your mind if you were trying to, to put a body, to put a shape, to put some form to sin in your mind to help you start learning how to relate to it. But for me, years ago, 
I began to think of sin in this way. Sin as an entity, it's a gorilla. It's King Kong. It's a beast. Right? This, in my mind, when I think of sin, I think of it as a gorilla. You're like, Trent, that's kind of silly. Well, it helps me, right? Paul personifies sin. He calls it an it. And he says, I don't want you to let it, sin, reign in your body, even though it resides there. Even though it lives in you, it is not you. It is this thing that you've got to deal with in your life, but it's separate from who you are. Let's continue to read in verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Let me just stop right there. Here's, here's what I think that looks like, presenting your bodies to sin. It looks like you coming home from work. And if you're a, if you're a dude, you come home from work and your, your wife is there and your kids are there because you may have had a bad day at work. Anything that they do and anything that they might, might say might cause you to want to, to snap at them to say something to them that you know that you shouldn't say. And so in that moment, sin, the gorilla, says to you, give me your mouth, right? Give me your mouth. I want your mouth. Give it to me. Or, or we're at work and, and we notice an attractive coworker that walks by day after day after day after day, and sin comes to you and says, hey, give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. I want your eyes right now. Or maybe you're having a conversation over the holidays at Christmas time with your friends or with a, with a cousin or your uncle or, or a sibling, and, and, and topics begin to kind of get a little heated, and we start talking about the upcoming election, and, and you've got a completely different opinion than they do, and all of a sudden, the, the, the emotions start to kind of run hot and heavy, and, and all of a sudden, sin says to you, give me your mind. Give me your mind so that I can think of good comebacks, so I can good, think about good whatabouts that I can throw back at them, so that I can begin to formulate a plot and a plan to put that person down because I'm smarter and I've got the correct opinion about fill-in-the-blank topic. And sin says, just give me your mind and, I'll, and I'll, I'll put that person in their place. That, that's what sin does. And see, the truth is, whenever we are tempted to do anything sinful, we, we think, well, I'm doing this because I want to do this. But God wants me to do something completely different. This morning, I want us to, to realize that as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, that your, your identity is not the gorilla. The, the gorilla in you, it resides in you, has no roar. It doesn't get to cast the deciding vote. You don't have to let it win. You just don't. You have the same relationship with sin that Christ does because you are now in him. 
Again, we can think of this in, in a lot of different ways, but think of it in this way. There is only one of you, right? The correct answer is yes. There is only one of you. And you will either identify yourself with Christ or you will identify yourself with that sin, that thing that resides inside of you. When you sin, it's not you that sins. It is the sin inside of you that is disobeying. And and again, I want to help you this morning because when you begin to understand that sin is an entity, it's not you. You're not two people. It's something inside of you. you. You can begin to identify as being in Christ, and then what you can begin to do is you, you begin to see life is, it's not you against God. It's you and God against sin. This thing that dwells, that resides inside of you. Again, let's just think about it. When we sin, right? When we sin, how many of you continue to wrestle with this idea of, why did I do that? I didn't want to do that. Anybody? Like, I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to think that. I didn't want to respond that way. Then why did I? Well, again, the reality is Paul, the apostle, the greatest Christian to ever live, had the same struggle. If you were to flip over one chapter to Romans 7, it was Paul who said, like, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do right? And, and it's frustrating and it, and, it, and it messes me up. But I am so thankful that because of Christ, I can be delivered from this body of death, this body of sin, this entity that seems to always pull me back to the part of me that is no longer me. Instead of living out my real identity, This entity wants me and causes me to live out of my old self, my old identity. Again, for the rest of our lives, sin will continue to appeal to you, to beg you, to plead with you. But we know this, right? You are more than your body. Your your body houses you. It is your container, but it is not you. And so for some today, we've got to begin to kind of see that distinction in our own minds. Remember that sin has taken up residency in your body, but you are not a slave to it, or not taken up. It has a residency in your body because, again, it's still part of us, but you are not its slave any longer, if indeed you are in Christ. You have now sided with God against your sin. And so we can and we must stop letting the gorilla have the final word in your life. But how do we do that? Isn't that the hard part? How do we do that? Well, if a gorilla knocked on your door, and somehow you opened the door because it was, you know, disguised as a cookie salesman. And you let the gorilla into your house. And the gorilla locked the door. And you realize there's no way for me to get rid of this gorilla. Let me ask you a question. How would you defeat the gorilla? 
It's a dumb question, Trent. I get it. Just stick with me. Well, listen, I, I don't know what you would do, but here's, here's my strategy for defeating the gorilla if the gorilla locked itself up in my house. I wouldn't feed it. And eventually, after a while, if you don't feed the gorilla, what happens to the gorilla? It gets weaker and will eventually die. Now, again, the illustration breaks down at some point, but just stick with me. In your life, in my life, if we're ever going to defeat the gorilla in us, we have to stop feeding it. We have to stop giving it power. We have to stop giving it strength and energy. We have to starve the gorilla in us. And that can look a hundred different ways depending upon how you answer one of those early questions. If I'm so free, why do I keep struggling with fill in the blank? Whatever that blank is for you, you need to kind of spend some time wrestling with, well, what am I doing that keeps giving this thing, this, this lust, this pride, this fear, this anger, this bitterness, whatever it is that keeps showing up in my life, what do I keep doing to feed this instead of starving it? That, that, that's how we begin to deal with the gorilla that resides in us, the sin that is in us. Is we have to figure out how to stop feeding us, feeding it. Again, we'll always battle with the, that, that part of us that says, I, I want to do this, and, and, and yet I shouldn't. I, I, I know, I, I sh- I, I know it's, it's wrong, but man, there's a pull. We've got to step back and go, okay, that part of me that wants to run to sin, that wants to feed the gorilla, that isn't me. That isn't you. It's sin dwelling inside of you. And again, here's the hard part. And this is where, again, people who are way, way smarter than me, men like, like my friend Sam, could sit down and, and help individuals who maybe for years wrestle with this idea, but, but I think one of, the, one of the issues is that for some, and, and I, I want to say this, I want to say this kindly and gently, but it needs to be said. For some, we so closely identify ourselves with sin, with the gorilla, that we miss the fact that the gorilla isn't us. It's not us. But again, for some, we have, we've been unable to separate our identity. And we think that we are the gorilla. And we're not. If indeed we are in Christ. If indeed we have placed our faith in Jesus alone. Paul is saying that we need to identify more with that part of us that wants to obey, that wants to follow, that wants to do the right thing. And here's, if you're taking notes, here's something that I, I think is, might be helpful. When we begin to identify sin as an entity, then we can begin to identify ourselves more as being in Christ than with sin. I'm not the gorilla, and the gorilla is not me. Let's continue, continue reading. 
in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members, your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. In Adam, when you were dead to God, sin was your master. It was the only thing you could do. But Christ brought you. Christ brought us life, spiritual life, eternal life. There may have been a time in your life where occasionally you did something good, but you were still a slave to sin. And so when sin asked for your eyes, when sin asked for your mouth, when sin asked for your, for, for your, for your mind, you had no choice. You had no choice. All you could say was, here you go. The, the struggle was too powerful. But now, by the grace of God, you can say no. The power switch has been turned off because you've been moved from being in Adam to being in Christ. Now, again, let's be honest. We're all friends here. That doesn't mean that all of your feelings will change. It doesn't mean that, that everything is going to be easy. You may still feel some of those feelings of, of being drawn, of being tempted, of wanting to, to lean toward the gorilla. And, and, and that's just part of the reality that there's going to be inside of us sin that resides. We are in Christ, but we have not eradicated Adam yet. That's sin nature, all right? So we're, we may feel drawn to that, but we have the power to say no. We can present our bodies, our members to God as instruments of righteousness. We don't have to present our bodies to sin and become instruments of righteousness. We just don't. Let's continue reading in verse 14. For sin will, will have no dominion. It doesn't have to dominate over you since you are not under law but under grace. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. It's the same thing that he said back in verse 2. We talked about that. No way. Can't happen. God forbid some of your translations say. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You're going to make yourself a slave to God or a slave to sin. We can write that down, right? We are either, if you just want to go bottom line, we are either God's servants or we are sin's slaves. That's it. It's one or the other. I'm either God's servant or I live as a slave to sin. Even though in Christ, sin doesn't have power. We give it back to sin. Verse 17 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Let me just stop right there. There, Paul understood that he was writing to a group of people who got it, who when they were presented with this material, they embraced it and began to try to put it in practice, began to live out the reality of their new identity instead of practicing presenting their bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And and, and my prayer is that verse 17 and 18 would become our reality. That that we as a group of followers of Jesus would would be able to get to that point in our lives where we, we can slow down enough to recognize what's going on inside of us in those moments when unrighteousness, when the gorilla says, give me your eyes, give me your hands, give me your tongue, give me your heart, just give me some of you. We can say, no, 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 I don't have to do that. You have no power. I'm going to starve you right now. And instead, I'm going to present myself to God. Because I am in Christ. Again, there, there are some who, who think that once we are taken out of Adam and placed in Christ, then there should be something fundamentally different about how we feel. Now, we said it already, but let me just say it again. That isn't always true. You can be, we can be the most committed followers of Jesus in the world. But we still have to deal with the gorilla. We still will be tempted. Give me your eyes. Give me your mouth. Give me your hands. Because sin resides in you, you're going to be tempted. And here is the deceit, and it goes back to what we just said. Write this down. Sin says, sin says to you, the gorilla says, since you don't feel different, you haven't changed. So you might as well do it. We've all made that statement. We've already, we've all, all heard the cliche, right? You know, the devil says, you know, go ahead. If it feels good, just go for it. Since, it. since you enjoy it, it must be okay. Just jump in. Sin says, I want you to identify with all of those feelings so closely that you think that those feelings are you instead of seeing them as a temptation, instead of seeing them as this gorilla, this entity, this thing inside of you that you can say no to because in reality, it has no power. Again, if we could all begin to think this reality, because I am in Christ, because I am a new person, I, I no longer have to say yes to sin. I, I am new. The old is gone. The gorilla has lost its bite. See, the point is we can make practical what God has made actual. We can make practical. We can put into our daily lives what God says is true about us. We can do that. Verse 19, let's continue. 
I'm speaking in human terms. Paul's saying, like, I'm trying to help you the best I can to understand this because of your natural limitations. I'm trying to put it, Paul says, I'm trying to put it in a way that makes sense because of your natural limitations. For just as you, you once presented your, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You could not do right. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, again, not the presence of sin, that's not until we're glorified, but we have been set free from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin, that's the justification part and the sanctification part. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to, again, sanctification, more growth, and its end, eternal life. Paul says, when you were functioning as a slave to sin, what did you get? You got death. Why? Because wherever sin is, there is death. So why would you want to present yourself to sin? Why would you want to give yourself to the gorilla? Why would you want to feed it if you know what happens when you do and you always regret it? It always brings guilt. It always brings shame. It always brings this sense of, ah, if only I hadn't said, thought, did, reacted, responded the way that I did. Again, we know that sin is our enemy. Sin results in our greatest regrets. Whether it's something that happened inside of your family, something that happened at, at, at your work, when it comes to anything in your past, just think about how much feeding the gorilla has hurt you how much trouble it has brought on your life. Why do you want, why do you not want what God says is true, what is actually true, to become practically true? Why can't we learn to say to sin, you do not have me because I am not who I used to be. You cannot control me because I've been placed in Christ and you have no power. You have no power. Verse 23, for the wages, the payment, what we get because of sin ultimately is death. When we feed the gorilla, we get death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ, you have eternal life. And, and eternal life is not something that starts when we die. Eternal life is a quality of life. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of being in this moment, in this time, in this space, that will then just continue into forever. When we read that verse, oftentimes we're thinking about someday I'll have eternal life. The reality is for those of us who are in Christ, we have eternal life. It is ours now. 
but for those who are still in Adam, for those who have never placed their hope, their faith, their trust, their confidence in what Jesus did on the cross as he paid the penalty for our sins, as he laid down his life for our sake. After three days then, he rose again, victorious over sin and death, the grave, right? If we've never done that, we are still in Adam. The gorilla still has control. He has access to everything in your life. You have no power to say no. And the wages ultimately will bring death. Again, we can put it this way if you want to write it down. When we, when we present our bodies to sin, we get death. But when we present our bodies to righteousness, we get life, eternal life. And there's some things we've got to do over these truths. The first one is this, we've got to obsess over them. Anybody obsess over things sometimes? Anybody have an obsessive personality? I think we all obsess over different things. We may not be diagnosed, you know, OCD or anything like that. That's, that's okay. Doesn't mean that we don't obsess and, and we just rehearse things again and again and again and again. We all obsess over different things. What if we began to obsess over these truths? We begin just to rehearse and remind ourselves and tell ourselves again and again and again and again. The gorilla doesn't have the final word. I don't have to feed the gorilla. And the reason why I don't have to feed the gorilla is because I am in Christ. And when, when I was translated from simply being a part of my, my first father, Adam, to now being a part of my, the, the second Adam, Christ, I was adopted into the family of God that I was, I was forgiven and I was bought and redeemed. And, and, and Christ marked me as paid in full because of what he did for me. And, and, and also, he turned the power switch off and the gorilla that resides inside me. What if we obsessed over that? That we just kept saying it to ourselves again and again and again. I believe that if we would do that for a few days, for a few weeks, for a few months, for the rest of our lives, then we would see what God says is true, what is actually true from God's perspective would become practically true in our life that the gorilla would, again, though it's there, it begins to lose its power. It begins to lose its strength. It begins to lose its allure because we see that it has no power. And again, if you have to, and this again is not, I am not a um, speak it into existence person, so don't hear me say something that I'm not saying. But if you have to begin to talk out loud these realities, then do it. I don't know that I would do it if I'm in the, in the line at Walmart. You might have, you know, the other job that I do, I might get a phone call saying, Pastor Trent, you need to go talk to that person, right? Um, but man, just rehearse it. Say it. I am, I am a new creation. I belong to Christ. Sin has no power. I'm going to starve the gorilla. I'm not going to feed the gorilla today. The boss comes in and uh, the coworker starts to, eh, whatever it is for you. If you could just slow down, take a breath and go, not going to do it. I'm not going to feed it. 
Not today, not now, not in this moment. You speak that truth, you diminish the power of the gorilla. In Christ, we have been made new. And, and what I'm talking about is a process. It takes time. As a matter of fact, the rest of our lives, we have to put these things into practice because the minute that we stop practicing them, we, we, we run the risk of starting to feed the gorilla again. See the, the naughty list, and here's where we've been. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. The naughty list, we recognize. We were born on the naughty list. There's nothing that we can do to get off of the naughty list. We are sinners by nature. We're not sinners by activity. It's just part of who we are. But that's not all that we are. If indeed we have put our hope in Christ, that if we put our hope in Christ, that no longer does he see us as being in Adam, but he sees us, God sees us as being in Christ, in Jesus. The gorilla that's inside of us has no power. We're going to go into a time of communion now. But before we receive and, and, and participate in communion, and I'm going to let you participate in communion on your own today, I, I do want you to wrestle with sin for a minute. I, I do want you to wrestle with that gorilla inside of you. And, and, and if, you, you know, if you're at a point where you're like, doggone it, I, I've never thought about it in that, that way. I thought that there's anything, like, look, it's a girl, it's, it's an old King Kong whatever. But if this helps you somehow kind of go, okay, I, I, I see that now. I kind of have to see sin as this other entity that, that I deal with, then, then, then mission accomplished. And if it gives you something to hold on to going out of here so that you can begin to, to wrestle with, your gorilla, then, then, then great. If you need somebody to pray with you, want somebody to pray for you, then we would love to do that as we respond. But, but this Christmas, the, the, the thing that I wanted for, for us as a church family this Christmas was this, is, is I, want us to, I wanted us to, to, to confront the bad news, the, the naughty list. I, want us, I wanted us to be able to see and understand some things about sin, to be reminded about sin. Because in order for the good news of Christmas to be good news, we've got to remember the bad news. And so, so today, I, I, I don't want you to leave thinking about the gorilla as much as I want you thinking about Christ. That because of Christ, that the gorilla has no power. And we can live this different kind of life. Not a perfect life. Again, I'm, we're not talking about sinless perfection. That's, a, that's theology that I think is a stretch to think that we can ever get to that point where we don't sin. But we can't minimize the reality that we don't have to sin. We can choose not to sin. And that's what I want us to choose. So we're gonna sing when you're ready come up and take the elements and if you want to pray with a, with a neighbor, with a friend, great. If you just want to take communion by yourself, uh, that's okay. If you're new to Zion and you're not yet following Jesus, then, then maybe you just hold off in this moment because this moment really is for believers. And what we do is you, you, when you have that cup, and this is just for those who may not know, you take that kind of top layer off and get the, the, the little wafer. And that's symbolic 
symbolic of Christ's body. And, and Christ said that whenever we take communion, whenever we have this moment, um, that, that we should do it to remember his body. So we encourage you just to take a minute to remember Christ's physical body and, and the pain that he had to endure on the cross. And simply say thank you that you, you went through so much for me. And then you take the bread and, 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 and then you take the cup and you take a minute or two and you just think about the cross and you think about the blood that was spilled, the blood that was shed. It had to be. Christ said it had to be spilled because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So take a minute to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing your blood to be spilled so that I could be forgiven. And then take that cup. And if you do it in smaller groups, that's great. You can stand in an aisle or find a corner and do that. Or if you prefer just to do it by yourself, you can come and sit and just be still, um, just you and, you and the Lord uh, in these moments. So a little bit of freedom for you as we respond. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and for your grace and for the opportunity um, to learn and grow. And, and God, thank you for the truths in Romans 6. I pray that you would um, help us now to reflect and remember Christ your body and your blood. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's respond.